Welcome to episode four of What Do You Want to Watch? The show about really anything that you can watch, hosted by myself, Nathan English, and David Dirks. And this week, we're doing movies where good doesn't triumph over evil. We're going to talk about some of our favorites in that sort of subgenre, I guess you could say. So expect that. Let's get into it. All right, so whenever we're watching stuff, and I'm saying we as in humans, I'm just making bold assumptions about you even though I have no idea what you actually tend to watch, but we normally look for things that have a happy ending, right? Most of our movies have a happy ending, most TV shows. We hope the finale has a sense of joy and peace. You know, it's, it's our desire. We want good to win out. We want evil to be vanquished. Um, but that doesn't always happen. That's not always how how real life works and it's not always how movies work either and uh, when David and I were talking about ideas for a uh, show this week we realized that we both actually tend to gravitate towards stories where the good guy doesn't necessarily win um, and and where the bad guy or maybe not even just the bad guy but the good guy loses you know there doesn't even have to be an antagonist that wins but sometimes the good guy just doesn't Um, and some movies don't really have protagonists like the ones we're going to talk about today and I wanted to talk about, first I want to ask you, David, why do you think we're drawn to stories like that? I don't really know. Um, I think, well, I mean, one one reason could be like everyone likes those. Like it's the common thing and it's like the most liked thing is like the full arc happy ending. Mm-hmm. So I think maybe we're different like because we like, we don't like the same old, same old sometimes. So I think, and right. even if you look at my top 10 list, you might think there'd be something like wrong with me because I feel like I think seven of my ten movies are like kind of dark, and my dad even mentioned like, "You are right there, like <laughs> you, you, you like a lot of dark movies, you right, know." Right. And I think it's just because I, like, even if you looked at the Marvel films, which we'll get into that, ninety nine percent of the Marvel films ends right. They start, there's conflict, and then it ends happy uh, right. ending. And there's one in the entire um, Marvel universe to this point where it doesn't end like that. So I think we just like the different. Like it's like oh. Wait, yeah. this is different than anything we've seen before, and I actually kind of like that. It it subverts our expectations, and I think it feels as much as we would like our lives to be a lot like movies where everything's easy to understand, you know, everything happens. We know that everything that's going to happen is going to be interesting, and by the end we know we're going to learn some life lesson, and everything's going to be all wrapped up and nice, and we're going to continue on our way until they inevitably make a sequel about us where we have another problem we have to solve. Mm-hmm. But sometimes... I think it's nice to just subvert our expectations and to just play on that. You know, a lot of times I go into movies, especially like I think one of the genres where this happens the most is action movies where you go in and you know that it's, you know, impossible odds, but you're not ever worried because you know by the time that the credits roll at the end, you're you're going to be satisfied and the good guy, the star, the protagonist is going to make it out. And I like movies where I don't really know what to expect. So I think that in a lot of these movies, you know, maybe you're watching it thinking, oh, well, in the end, you know, the cops are going to figure out the serial killer or, you know, this evil guy is going to get what's coming to him. And as we've seen in real life, that's not always the case. So I think it's nice to see that. I don't know if nice is the right word. It's refreshing sometimes Mm -hmm. to see that in films. Well, that's a good point you just mentioned. Like in real life, it's not every single situation isn't that case of like, oh, okay, happy ending. We're good. Like, so it's like a little bit of taste of reality sometimes. Right. So first, we're gonna, we did these in kind of, kind of categories, I guess you could say. And our first category 
is popular franchise movies. These are actually both sequels. Um, so Dirks, do you want to talk about, about your pick for like a franchise movie that doesn't mm-hmm. end? You already hinted at it, but yeah, yeah, I did. Yeah. We just listed two of like the most popular, most known movies that do this just to give you guys a better understanding of what we're actually talking about. And the movie I'm doing is actually in the Marvel universe and you may have already picked on what it is, but it's uh, Avengers infinity war. Um, it is the third Avengers movie. Um, and you know, if, if you watched it, right, Thanos gets the stones. Um, and for a time there, Thor looks like it, he, you know, killed Thanos. Um, uh, but he did not go for the head. Exactly. And, um, Thanos snaps, right. And half of all living life disappears. Um, and then even part of me was like, okay, how are they going to end this movie out? Like this isn't the end, but then they legitimately end the movie with half the cast dead, you know, up, mm-hmm. up to that point we thought dead. And like legit for the first time, it's like, okay, what? Like this, I don't even think anybody even guessed that this would happen. Many like Reddit, you know, people on Reddit and Twitter are like, okay, this is probably how the movie's going to go. Like, like it usually happens. And for yeah. the first time, I think everyone was just stunned. I don't think there was an end credit scene too. It was just immediately just done. Um, there was the Captain Marvel. Hint. Oh, that's right. Of that's that's the one thing. But I think you're right. For those of us that haven't read the comics, obviously we didn't really know what to expect. But I just remember the silence. Yeah. You know, Marvel movies end, and there's normally like you can immediately hear like chattering people talking about like, did you catch this cameo? Did you see that? Did you see the hint? clapping Wonder sometimes? What this end credit scene is yeah. For certain movies, it's it's you know like people are just like, oh my god, that was the most amazing thing mm-hmm. I've ever seen. But for for Infinity War, I'll never forget sitting in the theater and just everybody was just quiet, yeah. you know, and there's some really emotional moments at the end. I think probably the most obvious one is when um, Peter is is disappearing in Tony's arms and saying, I don't want to go. I don't want to go, Mr. Stark. Don't let me go. I don't want to go. And like, you know, I, I, I myself did not tear up because I think that I knew that eventually maybe, you know, something good was going to happen. They weren't going to end the whole mm-hmm. Avengers arc on a downer. But like, I just remember sitting in silence like, wow, they actually did it. Yeah. And I think for both of us, this is what I think maybe my second or third favorite Marvel movie. And I think it's your favorite, correct? Yeah, I think it's one. Yeah. And Spider-Man was two. This, this is just how it affects us because as much as people, and yes, it follows a similar format to all the other Marvel movies. There's, there's a lot of humor. There's a lot of, you know, just cool action sequences, a lot of heavy CGI, great performances from mm-hmm. actors, but it subverted our expectations at the end there yeah. with just Thanos won, you know? I remember my dad specifically saying like, I don't like that. Like my entire life, the good guys always win. And, you know, and he and I mentioned like the escape, like he likes that escape from reality, right? Mm-hmm. He, I'm like, well, that's you know that doesn't happen in real life. And he's like, well, I didn't come to the theater to experience real life. I came to get away from life. And you know, I think it like kind of rubs you wrong the wrong way, really. Yeah. And it's like, I don't, and I, you know, for some like people don't like appreciate and pay attention and pay attention to much uh, in movies as much as we do. So like for us, we're like, I mean, we 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 didn't like it, but we're like, that's kind of I kind of like this, you know. Yeah. But for I, most people, it's like what you know what yeah. the heck you know and i think that i i talking to people that i've talked to i think that that's well regarded as probably one of the best marvel movies um it's between that and normally black panther is in the conversation ragnarok now winter soldier but yeah it's just a movie where everybody remembers the moment at the end when people start getting dusted because you just thought like oh they're gonna beat him and maybe maybe they don't beat him beat him and like they don't kill thanos but like Mm -hmm. they'll win in the end but then there'll be another fight and they'll have to gear up for it and just the snap happens and you're like okay what 
Yeah. How is this? And you've been sitting there for three hours. And you know, like, there's not another 45 minutes to this movie. Mm-hmm. But you're like, okay, they got to figure something out right now yeah. in the meantime. And just, It was just beautifully written. And just, no, no. It, so, yeah, I really love that film. And Tom well. Holland's everybody's performance is good. Yeah, Mr. Stark, like, I, I don't feel so good. And, oh, there's just so many. Yeah. And that started the kind of, um, I feel like, emotional kick in the Marvel Cinematic mm-hmm. Universe as well. Um, because that movie is obviously emotional. The end of Endgame is, of course, emotional. Mm-hmm. And then we have WandaVision's very emotional as well. You kind of get that with Loki, too. I mean, the finale of Loki is just people talking most of the time, but it's riveting mm-hmm. to watch. And then Spider-Man No Way Home is one of the most emotionally intense Marvel films that we've ever had. Yeah. So I feel like they're dipping into that darker side a little bit more now post-Snap, and Infinity War opened the door for them to do all of that. Yeah, they realize, like, man, we can connect with people on not just comedy and, like, well-done movies, but, like, we can tap in emotionally now to these people who have been with us for years and like it's gonna work, mm-hmm. and it is like you know I like I like comedy, but I, I'm not against them kind of going a little dark, because mm-hmm. um, as we talked, I like dark movies, and I think they could do a good job with this. So that was my pick. Uh, hopefully that under helps you understand better, and especially with Nathan's pick here, hopefully you'll understand better what we're talking about. So my pick is um, I'm just gonna say a bunch of things that I believe are true about this movie, and people are going to disagree, but I don't care. The best <laughs> sequel of all time, the best. Um, fantasy sci-fi movie of all time and the best Star Wars movie and it is Empire Strikes Back Um, Empire Strikes Back is the best Star Wars movie of all time I know there's people that keep coming up with the Revenge of the Sith revisionist history there's some less Jedi people for some reason I think everybody wants to have a different take sometimes the most popular take is the correct one everybody Empire (laughs) Strikes Back is the best Star Wars movie of all time and I love it for the exact reasons we talked about Infinity War you know the best the most interesting character to me in that universe is Darth Vader Um, you know we get to see his tragic backstory obviously in the prequels Mm -hmm. but he's like the more we didn't know about him, the more almost menacing he was. He's just this mm. cyborg like figure with a red lightsaber who's menacing and has a scary voice, a weird breathing apparatus. You know that there's some connection there to our main characters, but we don't know what until the end of this film with the, I would say greatest probably plot reveal of all time, which George Lucas says that he planned all along for Darth Vader to be Luke Skywalker's father. And I would like to say that George Lucas, you're absolutely lying and that's fine. It's okay. But I don't think you wrote the first movie thinking that Darth Vader was Luke's father. I just don't, but yeah. that's how I see it. If it was though, a genius genius. Absolutely. Either way, this movie is great. I mean, it's a Han Solo movie more than a Luke Skywalker movie, but yeah, it ends on a downer. You know, they lose in the end. Luke loses the duel with Vader, gets his hand cut off, and is hanging from the bottom of Cloud City, has to be rescued. And Han gets frozen in carbonite and taken back to Jabba's palace. You know, this is not this is not your happy-go-lucky people watching the Sunset Star Wars movie. This mm-hmm. It's tough. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's hard to watch. The evil is not vanquished at the end of this film. And I think that a lot of Star Wars movies, evil is not necessarily vanquished. But there's like that... Their bright spot. There is the ray of hope whenever he, uh, the Luke is on a ship and he's clearly been healed. Um, mm-hmm. And Leia's talking with him and they're talking about how they're going to go get Han back. You know, but but this movie's dark and and Vader wins in the mm-hmm. end. And that's what I love about it. I love that. I love that it focuses on the characters. Quite honestly, that I find more interesting because as much as I like Luke Skywalker, I care a lot more about Darth Vader and Han Solo. People with kind of, you know, a little bit of a darker past and. Obviously, with Vader, a very dark past. I mean, he murdered children, which yeah. is generally considered not very Pretty cash bad, money yeah. Yeah. to do. Um, but 
I, it focuses on those characters and it's super interesting to me. How do you feel about this movie? I know you don't love Star Wars near as much as I do, which is not to say you don't like it. It's just, you know, that's my thing. So, oh, no, yeah, I how know. do you feel about Empire Strikes Back? Uh, I really liked it. I, uh, I think before the Rise of Skywalker movie, I actually went back and watched like every single movie, like in chronological order. Mm-hmm. Uh, not, cr- yeah, it would have been chronological. How they're supposed to be watched. Um, you mean release order? Not release order. Okay, so that's actually you're actually incorrect that they're supposed to be watched in released order. You watch them in chronological order. Yeah, I watch them in chronological because I'm not. I, that's how the timeline is. The chronological order is the timeline of Star Wars, so it makes sense to watch them like that. My opinion, but um, wrong. Uh, no, I really liked them. I you like forget. I feel like you, you people like forget about Star Wars. Like, oh yeah, I've seen it. It's one of the greatest. But then you don't actually sit down and watch it. And like every once in a while, you just have to sit down and watch all of them. And then you're like you're reminded like this is. Okay, this is like the greatest, you know, series of movies of all time, you know. Um, so, yeah, just well done. Uh, on IMDb, 1.2 million people have rated it, and it's an 8.7 out of 10, which is very good. Yeah, it it's is. very high rating. Um, and, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a franchise movie. It's a movie, you know, George Lucas talks a lot about how Star Wars is made for kids, um, which I think is why people have a lot of problems with it sometimes, is they think it's too happy. But this is a movie that ended on a darker note, um, and it's essentially, you know, as what he's saying is true, a kid's movie that ends on a dark note, but you know, that's just, I think Mm -hmm. about how menacing Vader is and that, and that duel that they're having. Um, and that he's not even like trying most of the time when he's fighting Luke at the end. Mm -hmm. And he's just like, just trying to break him, not just physically, but emotionally. And you just see the, just like, when you come out of that movie, the Emperor's not really a figure in those first two movies. He's really just in the third one of the original trilogy. But you come out of that movie like, how can they beat Vader? Mm-hmm. Like, how is this possible? This is just such a menacing figure. I have no idea how they're going to conquer him. Yeah. So, and, and ultimately, he, I mean, he does, but he kind of doesn't because Vader ends up being the one that has to save the day at the mm-hmm. end of the last one. So Yeah, good character arc. All right. The <laughs> next subcategory that we have um, is... I was just actually a director, um, one of our favorite directors, I think. We talked about him the last couple of weeks, actually, David Fincher, um, who tends to just make dark movies, um, tends to make movies where the main character is not a person you really want to root for. And, um, you know, even when they're, the main characters are a little bit nicer, they're still like the social network you may not consider a dark movie. But now that you know what you know about Mark Zuckerberg, you're probably not you know, rooting mm-hmm. for Mark Zuckerberg yeah. during that movie. So, um, yeah, what's your David Fincher pick for a dark movie? Uh, mine is Seven, uh, made in 1995. Uh, Morgan Freeman, Brad Pitt, Kevin Spacey, uh, Loaded Cast, um, Gwyn Paltrow, Gwyneth Paltrow. Um, I'm sure there are more worth mentioning, but that's all I'll bring up right now. But, no, it's a... Uh, a very um, interesting. It's a very interesting movie. It's it it's uh, two detectives, a rookie and a veteran, uh, which Morgan Freeman and Brad Pitt are those. They hunt a serial killer who uses the seven deadly sins as his motive. So gluttony, greed, sloth, envy, wrath, pride, and lust. Uh, and right as each victim falls under one of those categories, and it's pretty g- gruesome uh, scenes. Um, but yeah, again, it's one of those. Where I mean, do we do we quote unquote spoil it or do we? Uh, I think at this point, um, 
Yeah, actually, we'll just say like the next two minutes of this podcast, we're going to be talking about the end of this film. So if you have not seen the movie Seven and would like to be surprised by the ending, maybe maybe skip ahead a little bit. So yeah, they uh, Morgan Freeman is the um, the seasoned veteran detective, and Brad Pitt is the the newbie. And uh, yeah, they are. You know, it takes a couple uh, kills for them to actually notice and begin to um, kind of chase this. John the, Doe, actually. They never give the serial killer a name in this that's movie. That's true. It's just I, that, I forgot Doe. about that. And they, they're trying to chase him, trying to chase him. Uh, and they eventually um, do get to him. But. But uh, Brad Kitt's character, um, right, his wife. Is, is. I'm thinking of the right. Yeah. yeah okay, it's it's absolutely. Bit. She's uh, in this movie. Well, first of all, they don't really find John Doe because John Doe walks into the police station covered in blood, which That's is Kevin right. Spacey's character. I completely forgot and about just, that. He just walks in. So if you're looking, if you're watching this movie thinking, oh, my gosh, this is going to be cool. Investigative wonder how they, they don't. They don't figure it out. They they don't. Is really it five get kills in? He just walks in or six. He wa- just walks in. Yeah. He pretty much just walks in um, and he's like, said, just screams detectives. You're looking for me. And like, it's so unsettling. Um, So they don't actually ever really figure this out. I mean, he calls them a couple of times. There's some back and forth cat and mouse stuff, but they never find him. And And then then you're like, oh my God, they got the killer. uh Um, And you're wondering what's going on. And then they take him out to prison. He's like, I know where the body is, right? And And they take him out there. Yeah. And then somebody, um, the male person comes and delivers a box. Yeah, he like um, he like had this all planned out, and Kevin Spacey's character has this package shipped to where he knows they're going to be, and they're looking for the body. And he's doesn't he tell him it's his wife? Like I know where your wife is. Is that or is he just saying I know where the body is? I think he know where the body is, and he thinks it, I I believe it's. And then it's just the famous you know what's in the box. I think everybody's heard that even if you mm-hmm. have not seen this movie. What's in the box? What's in the box? Yeah, and uh, it turns out that it is Brad Pitt's character, his wife's head. So yeah. she is one of the murders. Um, and, and he doesn't know, he has a suspicion, but doesn't know that until he opens the package that's delivered. And then, and yeah, when just... he opens it, um, this movie ends with him. I mean, I don't, ends, ends, but with him execution style killing John Doe. And Morgan Freeman's like, like, hey, don't do this. Like, please, please listen to me. Like, do not make this decision. I know how you feel, but just trust me and do not shoot him. Like, do not do this. Don't take this into your own hands, you know? And I think doesn't it sit there for like 20, 30 seconds, him sitting there like internally processing and thinking. Yeah, and you think, oh, okay, maybe he's not going to do it. Like he'll let the justice And Kevin decide. Spacey, of course, is just talking and getting in his head and right, saying like do it and yeah, this and that. And then it's absolutely just at the end um, he decides to do it. So, so you could say that this is one of those movies where the bad guy dies, obviously, right? John Doe is killed in the end of this film. But – he wins because yeah. he breaks the detective yep. and makes him into a person that he doesn't want to be. Without a wife and maybe without a job. I don't know how that would work. I would imagine he's getting fired um, and probably, yeah, I will have some deep traumatic issues. Um, yeah, so it's like who really wins, you know? So Yeah, so, I mean, John Doe's plan is essentially to, to break this person um, and to completely turn him around. And he does just um, that. And he does exactly that, you know. I definitely, uh, I, 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 you should watch this movie. I will put a little a warning out there. It is pretty intense, pretty graphic. The crime scenes are kind of hard to watch. 
Um, so this isn't like an easy movie to watch, but I do suggest it if you're into that movie. If if you want to watch it, I highly encourage you because it is a very good movie. And there's a lot more. Um, there's a lot more stuff with Brad Pitt's character throughout the yeah. um, the the plot of the movie. I think that one of the one of the things that really just hits you about this is like he comes in as like the super idealistic detective who like wants to always do good and play it by the book. And he's like focused on righteousness and stuff. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Morgan Freeman's character is kind of the, like, I'm on my way out. I just want to get out of here. Like, I'm, I can't believe I have to deal with this right now. Like mm-hmm. I just want to retire. And by the end, and I think doesn't Brad Pitt convince him. Like he calls it. He's like, I'm done. We're not going to find him. And he like convinces him to continue to yeah, work the case. And then, with him. and then it's, it's essentially just, you know, John Doe's whole plan was, was breaking, um, breaking her and, yeah, and and breaking him and it's very good. It's, and and it's Kevin Spacey disturbing. does a just sublime job. Yeah, very. So he's a bad person in real life, and he's extremely good at playing bad people in movies. I mean, it must it's, be a character actor. It's unsettling, really, how how really good he does and inhabits his roles. Yeah. Um, so for, on a lighter note, um, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Yeah, this is um, arguably not. Uh, yeah. So this next movie that I have is my favorite Fincher film, um, and one of my 15 favorite films of all time. Um, it's the movie Gone Girl. Um, Gone Girl is is uh, based on the novel by uh, Gillian Flynn, famous actually Missourian. Um, the the hmm. book and movie are set in in the Ozark regions of Missouri. Um, she also has some other books set in Missouri as well. Um, but it is about it's really just a story about how a man's wife, um, who used to be a minor celebrity, she had a series of books written about her when she was a kid, um, amazing Amy books. Amy Dunn goes missing. And Ben Affleck's character, Nick Dunn, um, is pretty much suspected by everybody of being the one that's caused her disappearance. Um, obviously, we're going to spoil every movie here because we're talking about movies that end on downers. And these so, have been, these, so these were released a while ago. These movies so have like, been out for a while. Yeah. But the, the twist is that, and, and as you're watching the beginning of this movie, they're putting all the pieces together and you're thinking, Okay, yeah, Nick Dunn has done this. Like this, is, and he has hadn't she prepared killed like his wife journals and, and and yeah, and then you get to the twist, um, and Rosamund Pike, who hasn't just an absolutely stunning performance, and was did not win Best Actress for this performance. She was nominated, but she did not win, um, which is dumb. Uh, it's it's just it's dumb. I'll say it, um, but she she just does a great job of portraying the twist and the twist is Amy Dunn planned this the whole time to get back at her husband for cheating on her. And she is going to frame him for her murder. And that's like, and then you see her plan, you see how she, you know, stole urine from her pregnant friend. So she could fake a pregnancy and get more media sympathy on her side how she drained her own blood and spread it over the kitchen floor and then cleaned it up sloppily on purpose so it would look like somebody did it in a rush, how she misplaced things in the house, how she wrote journals about how she was afraid and dated them, wrote them far back and dated them at different times using different writing utensils to make it seem like this was not a new thing. And she obviously flees from him. Um, and And in this movie is planning on killing herself. She is planning on committing suicide. Um, and you know, the, the movie only turns really when she makes a critical error and gets a lot of her, her money stolen because she was being careless. Um, but she has to like 
change her plan on the fly, but she decides to go back to him because of the speech he gives on national television defending himself um, because he has shown that he can play this game too, that he is just as dark and twisted as she is and that he knows what game she's playing. He knows she's alive. He knows she's watching and he's playing to her. And this movie ends with, with her murdering an innocent but creepy man who was pretty much stalking her for her whole life and was in a previous relationship with her. Um, and framing that guy as a person that then kidnapped her and raped her and driving back home covered in his blood and going and hugging her husband and living quote unquote happily ever after. It yeah, doesn't it end with like them walking, she's in a wheelchair and going back into their home and the media is like taking pictures and it just like, yeah. And then you see like they get in the house and they have the conversation cause both of them know that they're lying. Yeah. And He's like, I'm never going to love you. And she's like, well, I like it's actually pregnant. And like, <laughs> then like he has to stay for the kid. And like, so it just ends with like, that's super, it's just super depressing. Cause you see like these two people who are not very good. And Nick is a moron in many ways, um, but who are obviously not good people. And she wins. I mean, she, she gets away with it. She kills an innocent man. Um, she frames another one for her murder. She, um, is able to play a bunch of media attention, get a bunch of people on her side. And she traps a man in a relationship he doesn't want to be in. Um, and she's like the whole move end of the movie. It's, it's parallel shots of her looking back at him. And he's like talking about how he doesn't, he's trying to, he wants to open up her brains and spool around and see what's going on in there. Cause he never knows what she's thinking. Mm -hmm. And he has to now operate the rest of his life in a relationship with a person that's willing to commit murder in order to frame him for one. Yeah. It's so whew, I remember watching this. I actually watched it on TV. I have not watched it like without commercials. Like, you know, wow. But okay. You haven't got the full experience. It's a, this movie's more messed up than seven, really. Yeah. I mean, it's more gruesome and more, it's darker. And, it, ooh, yeah. I, I remember, see, I had never heard of it. And I was like, oh, it's on TV. Let's watch this. And I just did not know what I was getting myself into. Yeah. It's one of the best villain performances um, by, by Amy Dunn. Um, and I think one of the most heartbreaking moments that really cements this for me um, in the movie where the, you know, evil is winning out is um, Nick Dunn has a twin sister, Margot. And Margot is on his side through most of it obviously she's upset with him at like cheating on his wife and other things like that but she's on his side and she knows too what what amy has done but she knows that nobody will believe her and at the end you just see margo like crying talking to nick like i can't believe you have to live with this like after everything that she's done we just have to live with it and we just mm -hmm. have to deal with it and it's uh carrie coon is is playing his twin sister she just puts in a remarkable scene there mm -hmm. she's just she's just chewing up the scenery and it's heartbreaking because you just think of the like what kind of life is this child going to have that they're mm -hmm. going to raise you know being raised by two people like that you know and none of them can ever get out it's not like they can quietly divorce after this now they're being heralded as like mm -hmm. a celebrity couple essentially because of everything that they've endured and i'm sure it's going to result in book deals and you know late night a talk movie. show appearances and <laughs> quite possibly yeah even a movie about about their lives you should name it gone girl and yeah like <laughs> they, could, they quite honestly could name it gone girl and 
you know that you just don't see a ray of sunshine Mm-mm. at the end of this movie. You just see that like just the darkness and the the evilness wins out. And it's amazing. I, I, this movie yeah. is fantastic. So I would recommend you watch it if you have not seen it. But yeah. also breaking as you've picked up all of these movies because it's not a good happy ending. All of them are very dark and very uh, kind of messed up movies. So just ha- have that in mind as we talk about these. Besides the first two we mentioned, they're very dark and kind of hard to watch. So just yes. keep that in mind. Yes. Okay. Um, the next subcategory that we have is creepy entrepreneur. Um, but first, before we do that, we're going to take a quick break. Uh, so we'll be back in a second. All right, so we got that subcategory that I mentioned before the break, Creepy Entrepreneur. Uh, David, you want to tell us your pick? Yes, so my pick um, is Nightcrawler. It's a Jake Gyllenhaal movie, um, and honestly probably one that many haven't really heard about. Um, Bill Paxton's in it, uh, among others, um, but it's... I'll just read the description. It's kind of hard to explain some of these movies just because they're so weird. Yes. But uh, uh, when Louis Bloom, a con man desperate for work, muscles into the world of L.A. crime journalism, he blurs the line between observer and participant to become the star of his own story. So essentially, he uh, is fascinated by filming um, and just kind of wants to make a difference in like shedding light on crime. So he, you know, applies at different local news uh, um business it's not business but news uh area yeah to to write to film this crime to cover it um and um you know eventually gets the job but kind of takes it further um takes it further than what he's legally allowed to yeah um like i mean there's one like there's one point okay one point he moves the body after a car wreck uh to get like a really good shot which that's obviously illegal but like there's even one scene like he 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 sees this car drive up to this pretty much mansion and like they break in these two guys and like kill the family and like not a minute after like they leave the house he like walks into the house and is like filming this uh yeah didn't call 911 no. isn't focused on notifying the police of anything that's happening is just focused on getting the best shot that he can then sell to TV mm-hmm. networks so he's like filming this like these, these bodies are probably their hearts are still probably beating, yeah. uh, and he's like filming them like dead and bleeding and like trying to get the best shot, and it's just really like messed up. And um, to be honest, I'm kind of drawing a blank of how this movie uh, ends. Could you help me with that? Um, yeah. So the way that it ends is, um, so he has a partner this whole time, or not this whole time, but he recruits a partner to to come and and kind of help him with this. Riz Ahmed. Um, his character Rick um, is kind of like his intern understudy guy who's helping him with this. And we see Rick is like excited to do this, but he has a conscience, um, unlike Jake Gyllenhaal's character, and is really not um, – he's he's the guy that like, can we be doing this? Should we be doing this? Mm-hmm. And at the end, he – there's a perceived betrayal of, of Jake Gyllenhaal's character and um, – they're they're at an accident they're at the scene of a crime and there is a perp with a gun and 
um, Jake Gyllenhaal has his character has a chance. I don't want to describe it too much because I want people to experience this for themselves. But Jake Gyllenhaal's character has a chance to notify Rick that something bad could happen and to save his life. And instead, he turns on the camera and starts filming and gets probably a great shot for local TV news and lets a, watches a human being die for his own gain. And that's what he does. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the end of this film, you think like, good, Jake Gyllenhaal's character is going to be arrested. He's going to be put in jail. No, you see that he's got an official company logo and a van and four people working under him. Mm-hmm. And now his business is even bigger. Um, so this one, I think, uh, as, as will the next one be on our list, is a critique of society as a whole. Um, mm-hmm. Because it talks a lot about this focus is on you know, the if it bleeds, it leads mantra of local news. Mm-hmm. You know, if you turn on local news, the first stories you're going to see are about shootings, stabbings, um, and any other kind of violent crime. And then you'll see the charity stuff filled in at the end with the weather. Um, and, you know, that's that's what Jake Gyllenhaal is profiting on. He's profiting on society's desire to see the worst parts of it. Mm-hmm. And his character understands that. And Rene Russo, who is a local network exec, I guess you could say, she's it. Uh, an editor at a local TV station helps him in this mm-hmm. knows that he's what he's doing is wrong is even told by other coworkers that what he's doing is wrong, yeah. but she knows that it's going to profit her station. It'll ha- help her station be number one. And that's what she cares about. She cares about her bottom line. She cares about viewers. She cares yeah. about eyeballs. And if it bleeds, it leads. I think she even mentions at some point, like you can't be doing this. And he's like, well, I'll just take this to your, your rival company. Yeah. And, and she, she said, okay, she stay here. We'll in. do it. You know, she gives in, yeah. you know, um, and yeah, it's a critique about us, you know, our desire mm-hmm. to see, see this sort of thing. Like, you know, we, you can have endless debates about true crime stuff. You know, the Netflix documentaries, making a murderer, things like that. Um, don't F with cats, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's, it, this movie is about that. It's about our desire to see kind of the seedy underbelly and, and our desire to be scared, you mm-hmm. know? And it even talks about like, in this movie, it talks about how they focus on crimes and, committed in suburban white communities. You know, they, that's what they're focusing on. They're focusing on violent crime committed against people that they think would also watch their show. Yep. And that's what they want. And that's what people want to see. So yeah, it's a very good movie. I'm surprised Jake Joan Hall didn't get nominated. Yeah. That thing. That is one of the, uh, you may have heard about that, but that is one of the all time just Oscars. What are you doing? Um, this movie got nominated for original screenplay from Dan Gilroy, who wrote and directed the film. But he was not Jake John Hall was not nominated, um, which is it's a shame. Yeah, it's, he's only been nominated for one uh, Oscar in his entire career, and it was Brokeback Mountain. Other than that, he's not been nominated for anything, which is just really interesting to me. Yeah, it's Donnie a, Darko, Prisoners, this movie. Like he's been in so many good movies, but he's he's just one of those that you know, kind of like Leo. That yeah, I mean and. Except even to the point of he's not even getting nominated. I mean, Leo was getting nominated. He just wasn't winning. That's true. John Hall's not even getting nominated. Um, but maybe there's a lot of Swifties in the Academy, you know? End of Watch is another one. Yeah. That's actually. That movie's also That's depressing. another uh, <laughs> that would fit in this category very well. Yeah. So, yeah, that movie is. Nightcrawler is, is an excellent film, but it's one that will leave you with a bad taste in your mouth and will leave you thinking about the kind of things that you like to consume. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. So, yeah, the one that I have for this, Creepy Entrepreneur, is a a little film called There Will Be Blood, Um, one of of my favorites of the 21st century. Uh, Paul Thomas Anderson's, I would say, best movie, maybe second best movie, Um, very acclaimed director. 
And it's based on the Upton Sinclair novel. Upton Sinclair, famous muckraker. Probably some of you had to read The Jungle, I would say, a famous novel about the meatpacking industry. Upton Sinclair was all about exposing the seedy underbelly of capitalism. And um, this movie is about that. It's about uh, Daniel Plainview, played by Daniel Day-Lewis, who is a oil baron and essentially uses you know, shall we say, very sketchy business practices to kind of amass his fortune and his wealth. Um, and the other main character in this is Paul Dano, um, who plays Paul Sunday. I, I don't know if he intentionally did the first names of the same for everybody <laughs> or if that's just how that worked out. I just realized that but, too. I don't know. Um, he is a preacher um, who is in his own way using uh, manipulation to grow his field. And to grow his influence in the town. And they're both centered in the same town. Um, And we just see, like, you know, how Daniel Plainview operates and how he goes at this, you know, turn of the century oil rig and how he creates an an empire out out of a small town, out of oil fields, and how he ignores health and safety of other people and Mm -hmm. takes advantage of everybody around him in order to do so. Um, And Paul Dano's character does the same thing. And they're kind of at odds because of it, because they both want to be the guy mm-hmm. in this yeah. small town, and they both can't be the guy. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's it's a it's a very good film. It's a very depressing film. Um, it's very good critique. Actually, Paul Dano plays twins in this movie, which I didn't realize the first time I watched it. But there's actually two. He plays two different people. Um, mm-hmm. But it's the same. Daniel Day Lewis is inhabiting this character completely as Daniel Plainview and it's just you look at it you look at it as a critique on capitalism I mean it's the bad guy wins a lot of times in business I think we've seen that recently with like the man with more money yeah Mark Zuckerberg I mean if you look at that like people that are willing to ignore personal safety and um, not do what's best for those around them in order to make their own profit in this movie Daniel Plainview um, adopts uh, the son of one of his oil workers because he at the beginning of the movie he dies which is I mean drilling for oil is still a very dangerous practice and yeah. it absolutely was at uh, 120 130 years ago um, and he he adopts this kid and um, kind except his whole purpose for adopting this kid and using him and he tells him this kid this at the end of the movie when he's all grown up and wants to go and start his own business that he adopted him because it was convenient mm-hmm. it helped him he could take a little kid to to work and um could take a little kid to go pitch people to buy their land to drill for oil there and the kid would soften the people up didn't he know? say like i never loved you or maybe not yeah as that. he pretty much says that he yeah. essentially tells the kid he never loved him that he Jeez. just his pitch is he goes in and tells these these families you know that he's what he obviously is shortchanging them obviously not telling them the accurate amount of what their land is worth but he's going in and telling them that it's a family business and him and his son are all focused on, you know, good family values. And that's what they want. And meanwhile, he then tells this kid that he never meant anything to him yep. and that he just saw him as an opportunity for for dollar signs. There's even a scene that is very famous where uh, Daniel Day-Lewis is screaming in, in Paul Dano's church about he, how he's abandoned his child. And because his child is rendered deaf in a, an explosion at an mm-hmm. oil rig and instead of dealing with it, instead of, I know he tries for a little bit to get the best care that he can, but mm-hmm. he, you know, has never had a great relationship with this kid and he just sends him away. 
Yep. Um, and the only reason he does the I have abandoned my child speech is to, you know, boost his his image in the town because it's fallen so much. Um, and so he can get back to, to normal. But, you know, he's using this all for gain. So yeah. this movie leaves you feeling empty. What were what? How do you how did you feel about this film after you watched it? I uh, I honestly I didn't know what I was watching. I watched this like a couple years ago. And it was like, I think I like looked on IMGb, like I didn't have Letterboxd then. I wasn't as much entrenched as I am now. I was like, ooh, won a couple Oscar. You know, Daniel Day Lewis won an Oscar for this. You know, as mm-hmm. you mentioned, he did a good job. Yeah, he won an Oscar for his role. It was a highly rated movie, and I was like, you know, I'll I'll try this out. You know, I'm looking through this streaming service, and I have it, so I'll watch it. And um, yeah, I didn't know what I was getting myself into. I uh, did not know what it was about, and I did not realize how dark it was, and kind of the we we don't have to talk about the ending scene, but after watching that, it's like, dang, I need to like go yeah. watch the office or, you <laughs> yeah. know, I need a cleanse. Go on a swim. I don't know. Like I, I'm kind of feeling down bad right now. Like, I, <laughs> but no, I just remember it, it was very, very good. Um, it's two hours and 40 minutes. Like it's a long movie, but it didn't feel that long. No, like, no, this movie it, moves quickly. It's yeah. I, I, it was, it was kind of tough to watch at some parts. Cause it's just like, man, this is, kind of true it's too close it's one of those too close for comfort i can actually see a lot of you know the people that have started mega corporations acting exactly like this Mm -hmm. and being like this and you you know we don't want to think about that as much Mm -hmm. as we do when we we love to critique people we don't want to think about how how some people you know are so vile and evil and just pursuit of wealth and Mm -hmm. And this movie makes you think about that. It confronts you with that. And you have to kind of stare it in the face. And I think you can easily dismiss it as just a critique on capitalism. But it's a critique on greed as a whole in any situation. Because as much as uh, Paul Dano's character is trying to get more money to make his church bigger, to grow his influence, he wants, he wants the greed of fame. That's what his, his pursuit is about. It's, about. it's about having more people know him and he can influence more people. Yeah. And he... He is kind of, you know, the a one of the first televangelists, it seems like, and and you know, a for profit pastor, that's prosperity gospel, and that's mm-hmm. that's what he seems to be doing. It's fire and yeah. brimstone, but he's he's telling you to repent and that God will give you good things, and that's the same thing. So yeah. at the same time, you're feeling bad about business. You can also feel bad about how some people in the Christian community and in religious communities around the world use their pulpit. Yep. So this uh, this review. This review title actually just captures the movie well. It's uh, they called it a blood-soaked oil-sopping epic that is a light many and dissatisfy others. Yeah, yeah, it's, that's what that is. <laughs> so yeah, highly recommend to watch this long movie. Again, pretty dark, but uh, very very well done by Daniel Day Lewis specifically. Also, uh, correction on myself: Paul Sunday is the other twin. Eli Sunday is the one that is the preacher. Mm. Um, Paul Sunday, I, I always mix that up because it's played by the same actor, but mm-hmm. Paul Sunday is the one of, one of the brothers, or maybe he's not a twin, he's just a brother. And then, um, Eli Sunday is the one that becomes the preacher. So, got yeah. you. all right. Our next and final subcategory is killer on the loose. Talk about your pick here. Uh, my pick is no country for old men, uh, made in 2007. Um, a very, very dark movie. Um, Really good though, right? Tommy Lee Jones, Javier Bardem, Josh Brolin, Woody Harrelson, 
um, pretty stacked uh, cast. And uh, yeah, it's uh, it's man, this is a tough. It won four Oscars, um, but this is a movie kind of out in the country. I'm trying to you know specifically near the Rio Grande. Yeah, where it's, it's near the it's near the border in the desert. Um, it's a western. Yeah, um, but it's it's not a lot. It's not. It has a lot of homages to typical westerns, but it changes it a little bit. Yeah, um, this. It's, 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 violence and mayhem ensue after a hunter stumbles upon a drug deal gone wrong and more than two million dollars in cash near the Rio Grande. So, like, yeah, right. The the it, it, it involves the drug cartel. It involves some old time sheriff, and then it involves Javier Bardem's character um, as Anton Chigur. How do you say that? Chigur. Chigur. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, man, it's and I, I will say about his character. I uh, saw some, like, trivia. Like, a, a, a panel of, like, psychologists did, like, studies on, like, you know, what's, like, the scariest and most accurate serial, serial killer portrayal in a movie? And, like, they, the majority all voted and agreed of, you know, the many movies that have been made about a serial killer that this, Javier Bardem's character in this movie is, like, the most terrifying and most accurate, like, serial killer um that's been done on that that's been done on screen um and it's just really it's it's tough to watch at times cuz there there legitimately is like no reasoning behind some of his stuff and i think even a, a character points to that at one point in the movie like you you were going to do this anyway after like their 5 minute conversation and he's like i'm yeah. afraid so and then just pops yeah. up you know and his main weapon of choice is a um oh what's it called is it a cattle it's a it's some I don't remote know the exact so, weapon. It's not he does not use a gun in no, this film, which is I'll, very interesting. You guys may I'll explain it. It's like essentially it's a an H like a pump for oxygen is tagged to this like gun like thing and essentially you put it to a cattle prod, I think. And you put it to the cattle's head and essentially you tr- pull the trigger and it um it shoots a little stick be, out and goes back in, and it kill, it's, it's supposed to kill the cow. Instantly. It's supposed to be like a humane way to to kill, like put down animals that have like broken a leg or something, yeah. and it's it's used on cattle and that like a highly pressurized that pump that just hits them in the head and it, and it instantly kills them. And that's how he uses that. He just carries around this O2 pump, like and just casually just walks along and like uses this, and it's really just kind of an unsettling and unique way. Uh, what, Nathan, what were your thoughts on this movie? Um, I think that first of all, Javier Bardem's performance is is a, is amazing. He is, yeah, he's super menacing, and you can tell he just does not care about mm-hmm. other people and their livelihoods and the way that he acts. You know, and I think that one of the most haunting parts of this movie is he's another he's a coin toss guy. You know, mm-hmm. there's some mm-hmm. that's been a very um. I don't know if common trope is correct. Uh, Famously, Harvey Dent, Two-Face, uses a coin. But, you know, he decides whether people live or die based off a coin toss. And he looks at a, you know, an old clerk in a store and just looks at him and says, what's the most you've ever lost in a coin toss? Yeah. And it's... That's like the iconic quote right there. It's chilling to see. Um, And at the end of this film, you know, we talk about movies where... uh, evil beats good he he gets in a massive accident as a broken leg but he just gets up and walks away so you know that you know he's he's killed um he's he's hunted kills down the main character. josh brolin and killed him and 
you're thinking that he's going to get his, you know, comeuppance in this car accident, and then he doesn't. Um, what I want to talk about a little bit is, I don't know, have you seen many Coen Brothers films? Um, they, the Coen Brothers, very famous um, sibling duo in Hollywood, have written and directed quite a few notable movies. Um, and this one is, they they've also did Fargo, which is, a, I would say, a black comedy. It's a little darker. But this movie, normally they have a lot more humor hmm. in their films. Um, I've I, seen Oh Brother Where Out There. Yeah, right. Movies like that and uh, The Big Lebowski, even and you know as I previously mentioned, Fargo. They have, they have a lot. There's a lot of comedy, comedic elements in this. There is not mm. uh, in this movie. There's not really like anything ever. that's funny. You know, Tommy Lee Jones says some wise cracks as the old sheriff that mm-hmm. that'll kind of give you a little chuckle. But like, there's no real laugh out loud moments because this whole time you're just just watching this just man stalk his prey mm-hmm. and it's it's scary yeah this movie is scary. i think the climax of the movie is towards the end and there's a beautifully written um scene and like tommy lee jones and his partner roll up to this hotel and it's like he like drifts in and it's it's how they filmed it. It's like someone's like running with the camera almost. Mm-hmm. And like you hear screaming and a screaming woman like runs across the screen and there's cops running and you slowly just get closer and closer into the hotel room where Josh Brown eventually lies and just how they wrote this scene and the acting and just how they captured it. It's pretty incredible. It's mm-hmm. in my opinion that's like the climax of the scene and then you go in there and you know Tommy Lee Jones has kind of been like they haven't been partnered up, Josh Brolin and and Tommy Lee, Tommy Lee Jones characters, but they've been on the same side, like trying to figure out, and he's been trying to get to him essentially. Yeah, he's um, trying to save Josh Brolin's character mm-hmm. essentially, and I don't think Josh Brolin st- had trusted him entirely. No, um, and you know he gets in there and sees him dead, and actually I wasn't expecting that. Like I, I was like they're not gonna, they're not going to kill him, they're not going to kill Llewellyn. Like that's uh, they're not going to do that, and they and they do, and they do. Uh, if I'm remembering correctly isn't he still in the room yeah because he sets up this whole elaborate this movie is very smart about how um people are he's trying to get away with it and he sets up this whole elaborate thing to try to get away with this crime and to defend himself because he knows that there's cartel hitmen after him but nobody can stop anton Shaker. Mm-hmm. he is just he he has he has no fear he has no qualms about hurting anybody um and you see that um yeah in this movie it's stuff it's very it's a very tough watch but it this movie also came out in 2007 which is the same year that there will be blood came out let's talk about a quite a double feature if you're watching these bad boys you just recap in 2007 but both excellent excellent Mm -hmm. films when it ends with like tommy lee jones just giving this monologue of like like, there's this country isn't good for old men like and he's like this just man bad people get away with things and that's just the reality of today. And he's like, maybe we weren't meant to stop all of them. You know, it's just very just sad. And it, I did a poor job of capturing what he said, but it's, it's, you know, almost a five minute, you know, monologue of him just sitting there at the table. And of course, Tom Lee Jones is an incredible actor. One of the, one of the greater mm. actors, all time grumpy old man in movies guy. Mm-hmm. Very, but one of the best. That. Yes. <laughs> uh, and just a beautiful, he just, it, and it ends with him speaking. Like it's just really just well done. Um, really, really good movie. And we should mention that this is based off a novel. Um, a lot of these movies are, but this is based off a Cormac McCarthy novel, 2005, mm. with the same mm. name that was very, very popular. Um, so the last film we're going to talk about today is, um, I think, 
I think a movie that everybody kind of knows about um, because of one very iconic performance, and it's Silence of the Lambs. Um, yep, and you just did it right there. Uh, Anthony Hopkins' um, performance as Hannibal Lecter is one of the most memorable. And you might be thinking to yourself right now, well, wait, at the end, Clarice Starling goes to Buffalo Bill's place. They find the serial killer, and she kills him and saves um, the senator's daughter that was was kidnapped. And everything ends on a high note. Except for that whole middle part where Hannibal Lecter murders a couple of cops, cuts off one of their faces, pretends to be a dead, uh, dying cop on a gurney, then kills a bunch of people in an ambulance, ditches the ambulance, and then gets away. So there's now one of the most prolific and intelligent serial killers in history to that point is now just on the loose. And the end of the movie is him calling Clarice saying that, you know, he's going to have an old friend for dinner because he likes to eat people. And the warden that mistreated him while he was in prison is next up on the menu. Um, So yeah, this movie, and as much at certain points, it feels like we're rooting for, I don't want to say rooting for Hannibal Lecter, but he, a lot of times he kills people on screen that we feel deserve it. Mm. Um, He famously caught, I think makes Miggs kill himself. Mm. Um, One of the other inmates who, um, very disgusting scene throws semen at Clarice Starling when she's going to visit Hannibal Lecter. Mm. Um, and you know, he kills, he wants to kill the warden who we see is a terrible person. Um, but you know, this movie ends with a serial killer out on the loose. Yeah. Um, I think people forget that. Yeah. It's just, you think like there's a happy ending, they catch Buffalo Bill, but, and as much as I will argue this point till the end of my days, Buffalo Bill while being the main antagonist of the film, is not the true villain. Mm-mm. You don't watch Silence of the Lambs and come away thinking about Buffalo Bill. Really, you don't. You think about how Anthony Hopkins gave one of the best performances of the last, um, I don't know, ever? Of the last ever. Yeah. He gave one of the best performances of the last ever. And how menacing and terrifying Hannibal Lecter was. Yep. And how in his limited amount of screen time, he was able to become an iconic character and that's that's what I think about. And at the end, he he wins. You yeah, know? yeah. People forget that. I believe at, at the very end, he's in a uh, an ambulance, and they open the ambulance doors, and he's no longer there. And mm-hmm. like you just forget that so often. And you just um, know. And he flies to a remote location and tropical location to hunt down this warden. And mm-hmm. you know that that warden's next up on the menu, and yeah. that you know probably going to keep killing and killing. And there's obviously sequels where he does continue to kill people yeah um so this is a this is a serial killer cannibal at the end of this movie you know as much as you want to say good triumphs over evil uh, they just traded one serial killer for another and i would argue a more dangerous one yeah yeah Um, he's a lot smarter than buffalo bill i feel like buffalo bill was yeah i think buffalo bill was intelligent but i don't think buffalo bill was i i mean the the way that hannibal lecter is portrayed in this film is he is probably always the smartest person in every single room that he's in ever um And so that's that's terrifying. Yeah, it is to see this thing. This this movie won five Oscars based on a novel by Thomas Harris. As we you just mentioned, most of these are. Uh, so yeah, no, very very well done movie. Um, again, we kind of started with well known, and really we ended with one of the more iconic movies. Mm-hmm. Um, Jodie Foster does an incredible job. Anthony Hopkins, as we mentioned. Um, so, yeah. yeah, and I think that what the, one of the last things we're just talking about the Oscars. This movie was released in in um, January, the year that it came out, and won Oscars the next year. So most, mostly the way that award season works is they try to push 
the movie to be released and a like a three month window before the Oscars. So it gets just the right amount of buzz before they have to start campaigning for it. Signs of the Lambs is so good. And Hannibal Lecter is such a good performance. They released it so early. It didn't even matter mm. because you watched that and you thought about how amazing it was. And a year later, you know how sometimes things seem to fade. That did not. That yeah. performance did not. It won Best Picture, Best Actor in a Leading Role, Best Actress in a Leading Role, Best Director, and then Best Writing Screenplay. Yeah. Uh, it was nominated for Best Sound and Best Film Editing. So it was released Valentine's Day in 1991. Quite a date movie. Yeah, wow. To go on. Um, I wouldn't really recommend that unless you're already pretty secure in that relationship. Yeah, yeah. But, um, yep, that's been uh, our episode today. Thanks for listening. This has been Movies Where Good Doesn't Triumph Over Evil. Uh, next week we'll be talking about our guilty pleasure movies, or to put it more uh, easily, movies we like that we wouldn't necessarily admit in public. Um, don't forget to follow us on Twitter, uh, underscore WDYWTW underscore, uh, just the first word of our podcast and then some underscores on either side. Uh, and then be sure to DM us if you have any questions or show ideas. Uh, but that's it for today. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.